Hey there, musicians and music lovers. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Musicians Venture Podcast. I am your host, Nick O'Brien, and I am thrilled to have you here. If you're not familiar with her already, this episode will introduce you to me. That's spelled M-I-E, me. She is a 27-year-old pop singer, songwriter, and producer from Milwaukee, who is an up-and-coming female artist in the Milwaukee music scene and just getting her start, but she is already wowing the audiences she's played for. In 2021, she released an EP called Alchemy, which was streamed in more than 50 cities worldwide during the first month of the release. Me says that the EP represented the best and worst lessons she had learned to that point, melting them into a beautiful liquid gold of hope and peace that she can now illuminate her life with which of course resembles the mysterious magic of the ancient philosophy of alchemy, hence the EP's name. With her music, Mi hopes to reach any ears that need to hear her songs so that they may shine light in the dark for those who are struggling. She believes that none of us are alone, so as long as we're alive. Now, Mi and I met several months ago and have since had a handful of amazing conversations about life, mindfulness, spirituality, and philosophy, so I knew that our podcast interview would cover a wide range of topics. We talk about her focus right now being on networking, creation, and personal development, and what all that looks like in terms of how she's spending her time. She explains how music has been woven into her DNA since a young age, and her performing life starting when she was only five years old by singing in talent shows, children's choirs, and churches, which then led to her learning piano, and then spending much of her pre-adult life focused on performative dancing. She reflects on her experience in the Peck School of the Arts and why her voice teacher in college has been such an important part of her career. She talks about having support from her family for her music-related interests when she was growing up, but how that changed when she wanted to focus on music in college. She candidly reflects on the experience of losing support from her mother and how it was a factor in why she's no longer in contact with her family. She dives into why music has been so important to her overcoming traumatic experiences in her life, with writing being a way for her to process pain and struggle, and the community of other musicians around her being the family she's needed to keep going. We talk in depth about her perspective on the uncertainty in life that comes with pursuing a career in music, and how that perspective was shaped from her experience stepping away from a life she was familiar with but wasn't serving her, and how her faith and trust in everything working out as it should has been critical to her personal growth. She openly shares her experience with challenges such as imposter syndrome and analysis paralysis. And we go deep on the human experience when it comes to addressing fear and trauma. We exchange what we've learned about the power of gratitude, and we both recommend books and movies that have been helpful to understanding the science behind our internal experiences in life, as well as some tactics we've learned and used in our respective paths to mental and emotional well-being. Me expresses how grateful she is to be in Milwaukee's music community because of how welcoming and supportive the people are. She describes her music as emotionally raw and explains that it's her way of sharing her experiences with trauma and healing and hopes that it helps her audiences and her listeners with their own healing processes. She talks about how the music she's working on right now is much more specific and true to her own experiences in comparison to the music she's released so far. And our conversation ends with me encouraging listeners to stay tuned because her story and her music are continually evolving. And she also invites you to reach out or introduce yourself at her shows 
because she believes that connecting with people is the most important part of her music career. Before getting into the conversation, I want to let you know that personal trauma is talked about throughout this interview, with topics such as anxiety, depression, and challenges with family being addressed openly. So please use your listener discretion if you are sensitive to those kinds of topics. I also want to say that while me and I both share a lot of our own experiences and perspectives from what we've each learned about the human experience and how to handle mental and emotional challenges, it's important to note that neither of us are mental health professionals. If you're struggling with mental and emotional health challenges, please reach out to the resources that are available for professional help and guidance. This is one of the most candid conversations about life and the human experience I've ever recorded. It's filled with authenticity and hard-learned truths that are relatable and applicable to all listeners, not just for those in the music industry. I learned a lot while having the conversation, and I hope you too can benefit from this deeply insightful interview with singer-songwriter, me. Hello, me. How are you, my friend? Great, Nick. Great to see you. Yeah, you as well. I think I was introduced to you via Allison, what, like six months ago or so. Yeah. I think we met at Eleven's open mic. Yes. And I was confused at first because I was like, well, she's here. And I've heard she's a musician, but she's <laughs> opting not to play tonight. Uh, and then it was a few months later where you did take the stage at Lindemans and you crushed it. It was great. It was awesome. And now you've been, you know, you've been out and about gigging a little bit more in Milwaukee. Music has been a part of your life for a while, but like the music career aspect is fairly new. So it's going to be interesting to dive into that. I think you align with probably a lot of the listeners that we have who are you know in the beginnings of their music career so i think there's a nice bridge of connectivity and relatability here that you can provide so thanks for sitting down with me and yeah, thanks for having me i hope to be able to bring a lot of to some folks that are starting up their careers as well yeah awesome so let's start with present day you know you you put out an ep what like two years ago now yep. but what what is what is life like right now for me right now well, I have my Summerfest debut in a couple of weeks, which wild. Yes, so, congratulations. Thank you with the Whammy stage. I'll be playing a couple shows for the Live from Left Field live music event at American Family Field this summer. Um, got a couple other gigs lined up. Played a So Far show. That was amazing. And it's really cool. And it's all been coming to me, attracting, bringing it in, I think, just by maintaining authentic, too. And I need to be, well, I shouldn't shame myself and sit here and blame myself, but I feel like I, I can be more active in terms of booking gigs and reaching out and things like that. And that's why I'm not as far along as I would like to be in my career. It's been something that's been holding me back for a while. But presently, things are real. And so out of all of the things that a musician has to focus on or put attention on at different stages of their career, what, where would you say that most of your focus is going right now? Right now it is equal parts networking, creation, and like refining my art and personal development. Because I don't think that you can really create art without that. Going through what I'm going through in my life, 
outside of music. I'd say that's a big part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you willing to, to share some of the activities or things that you're doing in each of those, like the networking, yeah. creating, and the personal development? Yeah. Just give us a, a peek at what some of those things look like. Kind of current. Uh, yeah. So in terms of networking, I've been attending a ton of live shows. Thanks to you. <laughs> Thanks to you. Um, but also to, you know, so far, those shows are incredible. And, you know, never in my life have I attended so much live music as I have in the past, you know, month or so. And it's just kind of snowballing, which is amazing. Oh, Great. You're so but, yeah, you're... it's amazing. It's fulfilling. It's enriching. It's it's really nice. But then you know, developing deeper connections with local musicians that are all incredible people. We have such a vast and and deep sense of community in our local artist scene. You know, in in all facets, music, design, photography. You know, all all of the arts. Incredible here. Very inspiring and uplifting. So being more and more entrenched in it the the more inspired i am and the more i feel invigorated with life to continue to do what i'm doing so but so that's networking is just getting out there and doing it and not making excuses to stay at home and be a homebody any longer in terms of refining craft taking my personal experiences which i'll, I'll dive into in a moment um and, and writing from those and sitting with myself and establishing more of a routine with practicing and developing my newfound year-old guitar playing skills, which I want to develop further, much more so. But working to just continue to refine who I want to be, how I want to sound, what I want to say, and embody that kind of everywhere I go as me, as a point of me. So... And personal stuff, yeah, I have a lot of new material to work with due to real-life content as I am getting my grounding in being single after an eight-year relationship. About five or six years ago, I severed ties with my family. There's this song called Silent Sea by T. Tunstall, and it's about basically cutting off your lifeline and you just float as a raft out in the ocean that's kind of where I'm at and so that's cool it's scary and can be a little bit lonely but that's okay that gives good context so it's getting me out listening to live music seeing and meeting people and gives me a lot to think and write about that's awesome well thank you for sharing a few things that you're doing and you're focused on right now as a listener of the podcast yourself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I know what happens next. So I like to give listeners, you know, kind of a look into, you know, the person behind the music and where the music started to come into their life as an influence, as an inspiration, as a creative expression. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was that experience like for you? At what point in your life did music kind of grab a hold of you and, and kind of pull you into an interest in creating it and not just consuming it. Like what was the inspirations, what were the influences in that? Everybody has a kind of a different story. So I'm, I'm always curious to learn. I was kind of thrown into it as a kid. My family, they're kind of music appreciators, but they're not very musical. But when I was five, I was thrown up on stage in a talent show saying he's got the whole world in his hands acapella. And that was it, that was it. Ever since then, I just have been singing. And I would sing in churches and the children's choir at Waukesha, learn piano at seven, 
And then I danced all through growing up. So music has really just been woven into my DNA. As most musicians, I feel like I know. Uh, it's a pretty standard thing, but it's been the reason I'm alive for a long time. So prior to being five and being thrown up on a stage at a talent show, I would imagine that, I mean, you were singing a lot prior to that, just like around the house or? Yeah, yeah. Around the house. I grew up in a Catholic household, so at church, mm. sang all the time at church, sang in preschools and singing all the time, singing. I talked a lot, but I also sang a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. You said it kind of transitioned more into a, a focus on dance. Mm -hmm. And then when did it transition back to music? So I was in choirs through middle school. I was in the vocal jazz group. And then when I hit high school, I had made the varsity dance team. And that was three-hour practice every day, all year long. We had one month off. And I just devoted all of my time and attention and energy to dancing. And after that, I had graduated and I was given the incredible honor of singing the national anthem at our graduation at the time, uh, Miller Stadium. So we graduated there. I got to sing, sing there. It was my first experience with in-years. So it blew my mind. It's a very cool experience. So, but that was cool. And then I went to UWM and I tried a business degree because I was told I had to go to college and get a degree and then I might as well just do business. Like I think all of us were told. And so I went and I was like, this is awful. I need to do something else. And so I said, you know what, if I have to get a degree, I'll stay here. But I want to audition for the, the Peck School of the Arts and get a degree in music. And I will never forget my mom saying, you know, you're never going to make it right. I said, okay, mom, and I love. <laughs> uh, but I'll never forget that moment. And then I, I made you know, it into the Peck School of the Arts. And at my audition, I remember at the time, the head of the program looked at me. She's like, what do you want to do here? I was like, well, I'm, I want to sing contemporary music. So I had auditioned with contemporary pieces. And she's like, we've only really had one other person do what you're trying to do, except it was more experimental. So you're going to kind of be on your own and do your own thing. And I was like, cool. Okay. And I was lucky enough that my voice teacher at the time, Wendy Rowe, she was just trying out the position, and I was placed into her studio, and she's got a ton of experience working with contemporary musicians and singers, and we clicked right away, and she's been a really, really important beacon for me throughout this journey of discovering who I am as an artist. She helped me discover me, my sound, how I want to approach things, and yeah, that's kind of where things started to take off. Well, thank you for sharing all of that yeah. and even being vulnerable and sharing that you did not have the support of family. And if you're willing, I'm curious to kind of dig into that a little bit. What was your internal experience when your mom said, you know, you're never going to make it right? It was really wild because my dad, when I was growing up, he was always like, you're going to be a country star. You're going to be the next Taylor Swift. You're going to. And I was like, no. I'm not. That's not who I want to be. That's not what I'm going to do. But I just didn't really listen to him. But then when my mom said that to me, at the time, I was just kind of really taken back because she was generally pretty supportive of me with dance and the things in life. And I don't know what it was. I think maybe it was her own fear and her own projections of, you know, not taking a risk of any kind like that. But at the time, 
I was just stunned. I didn't expect that from her. And now I look back at it and I know that has nothing to do with me. And it hurt. It really hurt. I was like, you know, okay. You know, kind of let it roll off. And I don't think it even sunk in for a while. I still auditioned. I had been auditioning for like American Idol, The Voice, but my mom didn't really go with me to those. My dad did when I was a kid. And so... I don't know. It was a weird thing because it, it was very contradictory to how she behaved in other ways. She was so supportive of arts, seemingly, and the surface supportive of me doing things in art and throwing me in programs and doing different things. But when I got down to the root of when I needed the support and the foundational, like, I'm here, I'm proud of you, do what you need to do, we'll be here to catch you when you fall type of thing, and I wasn't there. It was interesting. It was hard. Yeah. You know, my mind jumps to framing this experience for you, and I'm not trying to project no, no. my own experiences with, you know, being told that, you know, I couldn't do something or whatever. I feel like in those instances, depending on who it came from and like what kind of head and overall well-being space I was in, a comment like that would either ignite my fire or extinguish it. Which side of that spectrum did you think that comment from your mom Oh, it definitely ignited me. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I mean, I'm the type of person who tell me not to do something, I'm going to go do it. Okay, yeah. Every just, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> number one yeah, yeah, like, right. tell me not to jump off the bridge, watch, right. apply. Right. 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 <laughs> I was sprout wings and fly. But it definitely ignited me, but I think it was like, okay, you just showed me who you really are. And you showed me that I'm not going to be able to rely on you when I really need you. You know, it's easy to be there for people when it's easy to be there for people, but it's not when they actually need you to be there. Mm -hmm. And I had seen in that moment, you know, what that really was. And so you can play the part, but, you know, I'm going to walk the walk at the situation. And it was clear in that moment to me that I was on my own and that's okay. You know, and at the time, like I said, I was just shocked. I was so dissonant to everything growing up and, and to external points of view too, because when I had around to cutting off my family years later for other various reasons. At the time when it had happened, I had people in my family reaching out like, your mom is so hurt. Your mom, you know. And I just kept thinking like, yeah, but you're only hearing her side of the story. And you don't care to hear mine. And that's okay. I'm not going to throw that on you. You know, you have your opinions of the situation and I don't have to explain myself. And I knew then that I didn't have to and I wasn't going to. But it's just like, I had this dissonant experience with her firsthand. I had several, but that was a big one that other people don't know about, that they don't see. And it's just like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tear her apart. She's, you know, there's wonderful, wonderful things about her. But our relationship was not what people knew of. And that's okay. You know, it defines us as people. And I had to have that, you know, there's this trend on TikTok now called the canon event, where it's like, you can't interfere with these events in people's lives even though you know it's going to hurt them because it's going to change who they are and be part of their story and they're drastic and it's important for me that was a canon event it was important to see her own insecurity projected onto me that way how that was going to impact our relationship that we didn't really have i have so much more yeah i've been to on this yeah because like <laughs> now kind of leveling you in my understanding of the way that you respond to these types of situations I mean, it's it's it seems very similar to the way that i respond mm -hmm. And so based on my own experience, yeah. like, 
after that initial experience, that shock or whatever, you can hold on to it right. and kind of use it as a continued source of motivation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time you think about it, it reignites that fire when maybe the flame is, is, is flickering a little bit. But at some point, you experience, or at least for me, I've kept going and, and you run into other experiences that then replace that. And then you have to go back to that original experience and actually like face it and process it and let go of it. Mm. Has that been anything like your experience? Is like the, that moment, that canon event for you, does that stick with you? Is it a continued source of fear or love or, you know? Yeah, it's been so long. I mean, I graduated high school in 2014. And when I made the decision to flip from business to music, 2015. And... For context, my mother supported me through this audition process through the box dance team. So I had been pursuing that. And I had left the team after a few months because it was not a healthy experience. And so there was some conflict there because there was so much support for that endeavor. And then when I decided to pursue music fully, wholeheartedly, then I was met with this kind of resistance. I don't think it was even a matter of something that I kept looking back on. I think it was something that I just kind of tucked away in my back pocket as I continued to do what I was going to do anyway. So it was a canon event in terms of like, I now see who you are and where you're going to be in my life as I progress down this road, which is not close to me. But it's not been something that I have had to utilize as fuel because my fuel is, I think, just stubbornness like i'm going to do the thing that i say that i'm going to do no matter what anyone else wants (laughs) and i think that you know my own path has been unique as all of ours is and so i think just growing as a person over the past 10 years i can see where she came from and i can understand that you know it was wrong projection and I've had bigger fish to fry in terms of emotional tragedy. So that, in comparison to the things that I was going to be facing along my journey coming up after that, really just, like I said, in the back pocket, something that, you know, younger me was hurt by, but it didn't really define me in the ways that some other things did. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and this is, you know, one of those experiences in your life that at least for some period of time was a challenge mm-hmm. uh, and I'm sure it sounds like there are other you know challenges that you've experienced in your personal life yeah. I'm wondering how or if your path with music and that being like a creative expression and outlet has helped yeah. with some of those challenges and if so how oh man yeah it's that whole life raft thing you know, me drifting out on the ocean untethered. The raft is the music, right? Like, that's it. There's so much that I've written with intentions of it becoming a song, and sometimes it's just like, sometimes the songs don't. It's like planting a seed and it not germinating, you know? Like, the whole process is something that I rely on to exist in this world. It's the only way that I am able to fully understand my world and interpret it in a way that allows me to continue on to the next day and I've had very very dark days and many of which made me feel like I didn't want to wake up the next day I mean many (laughs) but I'm still here and I think that music and writing 
And the way music has connected me with other people that have had the misfortune and also privilege of facing traumatic challenges, right? Because, you know, they can be a blessing and a curse. But without music, I would not have people in my life that I felt were aligned with me. And that's so important, too. It's like not just this expression to exist and to survive in the way of breeding, but it's the way that we as animals need community to survive and that social fulfillment. Like, that's the same thing, too. It's like the network I've created and built. I mean, I still have connections from the choir that I was in as a kid, which is incredible to think about. And they're doing amazing things in music. And so thinking about, too, the connections that I've made at UW-Milwaukee and professors would always tell us, look around in this room. These are the people that you're going to bump into for the rest of your career. And they're so right. They're so right. People that I, I bump into now, and I've been out of college for four years or so, still, you know, I'm bumping into people, seeing how awesome they're doing in their own endeavors, going to their shows, seeing them, hey, undergrad with them, look at them, they're so cool, you know, I get so excited, and I'm like their biggest fan, because we went to school together, and then I see them on my shows, it's just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing, that feeling of community, especially when you've had to make the difficult voluntary decision to orphan yourself you know so it's this this family i'm building in music they may not know that i consider them family in that way but to me it is you know you're my alignment family my spirit family like in a way these people that i'm connecting with through music are much more family yeah so if i could like read that back to you in <laughs> the lens of your metaphor and yeah. the music is the raft mm -hmm. and while you're many feeling untethered mm -hmm. and just floating around, you feel safe on the raft. Yeah. And you feel safe for wherever the raft's going to take you. Mm -hmm. So if the music is the raft, I'm on the raft, is the community the ocean? Oh, I like that. Yeah? Yeah. Carrying me along. That's right. Getting yeah. me to my next destination. Mm -hmm. You know, that network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like the way that that aligns with, you know, how you started this conversation and talking about present day and yeah. that you're letting things come to you, mm -hmm. right? But then there's also the recognition of, well, you know, sometimes I'm going to have to put my hand in the water. And paddle, yeah. I'm going to hit that rock. You know, it'd be nice if I could just enjoy the, the waves, but yeah. you know, I got things to do. And mm -hmm. there's some things I can control here in terms of how the water moves me or how the, the music community moves me. And sometimes there are storms, yeah. right? Sometimes yeah. we have to bunker down and figure out how we're going to get through this storm. And we know it's not going to last forever, but it is right now. And you got to survive. You got to make sure our raft doesn't flip over. <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah. And what it sounds like to me, too, like music, it's like a North Star for you. It's a compass. It's a purpose. <laughs> and I think particularly in the realm of the creative economy, you know, the creative society, sometimes that's all creatives have. You know, yeah. it's just that connection to that purpose yeah. and, and why it is that they feel that they're here and what they're here to do and what they're here to say. Yeah, it's awesome that you have the raft, you know, yes. it's home. The raft. It's home. It is. It is home and you don't have a home. Yeah. And oftentimes I don't feel like I have a home because everything's borrowed. So it's like that raft, the music is so important. 
and truly is what has gotten me through to my next day when I was like, nope, I'm done, tapping out. And I've been very, very close. And so it's like, they give it to the raft. You know, that brings up another question because, you know, sometimes things in your personal life that are not in any way connected to music that are challenging, you know, making the decision to be a musician <laughs> is a voluntary decision mm. to invite more challenge yep. into your life. Yes. And so while it can be, the raft can be home and yes. it can it can help you weather storms mm. that are not directly associated with music, it can also bring on a lot more storms yeah. that are. And so there's like the yin and yang of it, right? Yeah. Well, it's either I'm on the rafts floating out at sea or... I'm on an island where I don't want to be. Hey. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. You said that before. No, I thought I just pulled that one out, actually. <laughs> but truly, I mean, thinking about it, like, you know, I already know the dangers on the island. I already know I'm there. Mm -hmm. I know what predators are there. I know. I already know. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, I would rather face all of these challenges doing this thing, knowing that whatever's here on this island isn't meant for me. There might be something out there that's meant for me, but I already know that nothing here is meant for me. Ah, oh, me, that is such a great perspective <sighs> and awareness. You know, I think humans by design are typically more uncomfortable with uncertainty mm -hmm. than they are with certainty. And as a creative, I mean, welcome to the world of uncertainty, right? You know, <laughs> and so to hear you say that you're certain of what's on the island mm -hmm. and you're certain that it's not for you, mm -hmm. even though it may make your life easier, you know, well, like quote unquote, yeah. on paper, you know, or whatever. Right. But you're, you're embracing the uncertainty mm -hmm. that is associated with your purpose. Yeah. And it, it seems as though that you're more excited and enthused about facing the uncertainties and all the different levels of good or bad experiences, you're welcoming that more than the certainty of what you know is not for you. Yeah. So it's a huge, it's a huge thing in that personal development realm. So thank you. I think the bad on the island will always be worse than the bad I'm facing in uncertainty. You know, it doesn't seem worth it to me to put myself through what I already know isn't for me when it's going to be an uncomfortable situation you know, in in the realm of what is for me and who I am as a person and what I want with my life. And so if there's bad on the raft, like at least I'm pursuing the thing that I, I want to and I'm staying true to myself because that's literally all I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're committed to the certainty of your purpose. Like you, you know that. Yeah. Right? And whatever uncertainty comes along with that commitment. Okay. Well, and I think it's the experience too. You know, when you start to pursue your purpose and you go out there and you're doing it and you have no idea, you just start. Then, you know, you don't have the experience of trusting and having your faith fulfilled and rewarded. But soon enough, you you continue with that trust instead of turning back, heading back to the island um, and docking up and just saying, you know, quit, you know, choose what I know. You know, soon enough, you go through enough trials and you have enough faith in yourself and enough faith in your purpose and life, the way that life's going to always work out for you. That's a skill that you develop. And the faith in your own journey becomes like an anchor in it, too. You're, you're not ever going to go back because you can't. 
can't even see the island anymore. Eventually you get to the point where it's so far away that you're used to trusting. That becomes the habit versus doubting. Yeah, yeah. And trusting yourself and having faith in what you're doing, when you're doing it, and how you're doing it, and what's coming is a good transition point. Yeah. <laughs> into something that you requested to talk about. Yes. Imposter syndrome, analysis, paralysis. So how does that coincide, you know? Talking in the frame of like a spectrum here where like full faith and trust in yourself is on one side and imposter syndrome is on the other side. Maybe that's not the right way to flip in that spectrum, but I'm open to how you look at it and, and just what, what your experience has been like with that. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because it kept me paralyzed. Both things, analysis, paralysis, and imposter syndrome have kept me paralyzed for a really long time from diving in and going for it fully, completely unshamed, you know, even today. I'm like, I don't, you know, as we said in the beginning, I'm not that far in my career. What am I going to talk about? You know, I don't have anything to talk about. I'm realizing when I'm too much in my head, the imposter is very loud, chattery, like just so much. And then when I sit down into myself, I'm like, well, I'm a human. I have a story and music is that story. So I have plenty to talk about and the ways in which it's kept me alive, and the ways in which it continues to guide me. And so with imposter syndrome, it's kept me from reaching out for booking gigs. It's kept me from going to live music events and talking to people. It's kept me from writing and sharing certain songs and music, from putting more effort into my professional persona online, whether it's my website or socials. It's really trapped me in this idea that, you know, I don't deserve the effort or I'm unworthy, and I'm never going to make it, like my mom says, right? That little voice is in there sometimes. But then I have to kind of reel myself back in and say, who's talking here? You know, is it my purpose? Is it who I am and who I know to be and who I've come to learn and who I'm evolving into and who I want to be? Or is it my past just ringing loudly in my brain, trying to keep me caged up and... So I have to sit into myself. And there's this idea, too, where when you're outside of yourself and you're living in the, like, you could call it ego. There's so many different words everybody uses for everything. But I lean towards ego. When I'm living in that ego, when I'm either in my head or like out of my body, I'm not in myself. And I'm thinking about what someone else is going to think about me. You know, they probably don't think that I have the qualifications to talk about this or to even be in this room right now. Or to be releasing music because it's garbage. You know, I mean, there's so much, there's so much contradiction as an artist. But I mean, when you spend enough time alone, you're forced to face those things head on. Or you find devices to escape into. And I have done that as well. But it doesn't work. And I always come back around to, okay, well, I have to embrace the cards and dealt. And solitude and isolation has been one pretty consistent one. It's been in my hand for much of my life. And so I have to embrace it and I have to utilize it as an opportunity to evolve. Have you ever watched Jonah Hill's documentary about his therapist? It's called Stutz. And the therapist's name is Philip Stutz. What you're talking about is ringing so loudly in my head. One of the tools that Stutz uses in his practice is this concept called part X, 
and everybody experiences part X. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how rich, poor, old, young, you know, whatever your situation is, everybody experiences part X. Part X is that voice of resistance inside of you telling you you're not worthy. Your music is garbage. You know, you're not old enough. You don't have enough experience. Yeah, all of this, right? And so Jonah in the interview says, okay, so the idea then is to get rid of part X. And Stutz replies, no, no, no. You need part X. Yes, you do. You yes. need part X to grow. Yeah. And he metaphorically explains it as if you're in the gym and you want to get stronger, part X is the weight that you're lifted. Yeah. You need that resistance. Everyone knows in order to strengthen physical muscles, mm -hmm. you need resistance. And it's the same thing with mental and emotional muscles. And so it sounds like you have a good handle on that and just realizing that's part X. Thank you, part X, for telling me. That's that's the thing. You have to thank it and you have to see where it's coming from. For me, it's fear. Every lower vibrational experience, you know, anger, all of that, all of it's in the root of fear. When you get to the root of fear, it's a survival instinct. Yeah. Ego. It's, it's the good part of yes, the ego, right? It's to keep you safe. And so I've had so many mirror conversations. I talk to myself in the mirror a lot. Okay. Um, and when I was starting this fun journey in my early 20s, I would look in my mirror when I was having a really bad day with myself mentally and be like, we need to be on the same team. All right. You don't succeed without me. You want the accolades, right? You're afraid. You're telling me all this bullshit about how I'm not good enough, right? But ultimately, you want me to be perfect. And you want me to be perfect so that everybody else around you gives you praise. And I said, in order for you to get to where you want to go, we have to be a team. We have to work together. I get it. You're scared. And I will talk to myself like this all the time, like a little kid. I'm like, I get it. You're scared. You feel lonely. You don't feel good enough. But we need to work together. I need you to shut up, sit down, and hang out for a little bit. When I'm actually in danger, okay, jump up, say something. But right now, you need to stop being a backseat driver, let me drive, and I will get us where we need to go. And sometimes I, I, I quite literally have had to talk to myself like that so many times. Whatever works, you know. I know, but it's true. You have to get to the root of what it is. Like for me, every single time, it's because I'm afraid. I'm like, okay, well, what's the worst that could happen? Even the worst that could happen, which to me is death, then I'm done. <laughs> but yep. there are times I've wished for death. So it's like, you know, what's really the worst thing? Okay, I trip and fall. I get up and I laugh, and then the crowd laughs, and then I move on. Even in the world of the internet, I become some viral meme. Cool, I'm viral. Right. Falling on my face. And it's embarrassing. But you know what? Like you said, it's embarrassing, bruising the ego, making it. I mean, when you're lifting weights in the gym and you're putting the resistance on, you're actually damaging your muscles. You got to hit the ego hard sometimes. You have to take in the embarrassment and not project it. So if somebody embarrasses you, maybe they didn't even mean to. Maybe you misunderstood what they said and you, you, spike them back you know whatever comments to project that back instead of just like taking it feel it you know what i mean embarrassment does not feel good humiliation does not feel good there's a lot to learn in that experience yeah it's like yeah. and if you choose to respond right versus react right 
Right. You know, because reaction almost always makes it worse. Always. In a situation like that. When you're in a negative internal yeah. space, reaction almost always makes it worse. Right. right. And you're not allowing yourself to actually grow and learn from the situation. You know, you're not allowing the damage to be caused so that you can then be stronger. You're just putting up a shield, allowing it to reflect off of you and go back to somebody else who may or may not deserve it, but that's not your business. And we understand this concept right. that it comes to the, like, the physical body. Right. right? So, you know, for like... <laughs> some context here yeah like a few months ago i dislocated my shoulder yeah right yes and fractured in a couple places and i've had to do you know a lot of physical therapy and things like that and as a result i've learned a lot more cool. about yeah. how the shoulder works okay. and all of the supporting <laughs> muscles around it yeah. and how if my shoulder is sore it's not necessarily because of my shoulder it could be because my back muscle is too tight or my deltoid is too tight or whatever i've learned so much more and so it is the negative experience the objectively negative experience that jolted you into learning more about what it is that that experience harmed and and we just don't look at it that way with mental and emotional things we do with physical but it's the same thing you're talking about here when you are met with an embarrassing experience you're damaging those mental and emotional muscles but it's also a really good opportunity to get in there and look around and learn more so the next time something like that happens, the response isn't quite so radical. It isn't quite so off-putting. It isn't, doesn't knock you back quite so hard. You let it roll off. And yeah. I think an important thing to remember is that it's the neural pathways that are paved in our brain. And so a lot of those things that are paved in our brain, you know, the older we get, the deeper they are. And we learn them when we're kids, little babies. And then we don't unlearn them because we're never taught. And so we're so hard on ourselves because it's like, well, why can't I not care if somebody laughs at me? Why can't I not care if somebody hates my music? Why, 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 why? It's like, well, you learned that stuff. And all you got to do is create different pathways in your brain. And that takes time and patience and grace with yourself. And it takes building the new habits, you know, and it starts for me. I have had so many enlightening moments in meditation, but there are so many other things people can do. For me, meditation works best to help identify these neural pathways that are not serving my best interest and then establish new ones. So these can be done by, you know, saying affirmations. And every time you're like, I'm so stupid, it's like, oh, I'm learning, you know, and you, you spin it back on its head. But then the real test is when you're in the real world. You know, you, you go out into the world around other people and you face these supposed threats to your ego in real time. And that's when you can make the deeper changes in your brain. But we have to be so much kinder to ourselves because we're taught at a young age how to be, what to do, how to respond by the people around us. You know, we, we take it all in. And I, like, I'm grateful to live right now because we talk about this stuff a lot, but we're still so hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. I only know because I'm so hard on myself. <laughs> so, uh, but I know other people are. And, and it's because we were taught to be. And so it takes so much work and active decision making, whether you're alone or you're around other humans who have to do the exact same, and most aren't. And you have to be prepared for that, too. But when you go through this journey of transformation, it really, by sitting inside of yourself, 
you haven't seen this movie, but I highly encourage you to watch it because it, <laughs> it comes up again, you know. So another tool that Stutz talks about um, are the three aspects of reality. Again, no one is immune to these, right? Yeah. And the three aspects of reality through his lens are pain, mm -hmm. uncertainty, mm -hmm. and constant work. Yeah. Like no one Fun. is entitled to a life that doesn't, you know, involve yeah. those three aspects of reality. And he also talks a lot about the shadow self, mm -hmm. right? And so you brought this up in, in a different terminology of like, you know, the baby me, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just the, the inner child in us who has been pre-programmed yeah. based on our experiences yeah. and what we've been exposed to, to default to these neural pathways. Yeah. And I've learned recently, I think we've talked about this, yeah. and, you know, and, and with the Joe Dispenza book, Becoming yeah. Supernatural, on how to reprogram not only your brain, but also your body and your emotions, because there's so much of the feeling aspect. Integral. It's all, yeah. it's all, everyone thinks like, not nah, everyone, I shouldn't generally like that. But then should and should not apply shame, you know? It's, oh, I know, it's the way we talk and yeah. language is so important. But it, I feel like it's a very common idea that it's just our brain. But it's not. We store so much. There's a great book. I'm sure you've heard about it. If you haven't, it's called The Body Keeps Score. Oh, yeah. I know many people in my circle have, but it's very important. Just to understand that many of our physical ailments are a result of unaddressed emotional trauma. Yep. That's a big thing. Yep. That's a big thing. And if you haven't faced that stuff yet... Wendy, my vocal coach from EWM, always said, what well, you resist persists. And it is so true. Yeah. The bill will always come due. Yeah. It will yeah. always come due. You either continue running from your shadow or see it for what it is. It's your shadow. Mm -hmm. It's right there. And it's going to be like, with you all the time. Oh, right. Start doing shadow puppets. Like, yeah. Play with yeah. it. And like, yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's always going to be there. And you, you can't run from it. Again, the distinction of how we perceive physical mm -hmm. ailments. Yes, yeah. Even though it's integral, it all... Right. Like, you know, everyone showed up for me when they saw me in a sling, oh, you know? Yeah. It was to the point where I almost didn't want to wear the sling when I was out in public because I didn't want that to be the first thing that, to talk about, you know? But we don't look at it the same way with emotional trauma, yeah. mental trauma. Oh, no. You know, it's like, no, that's, that's a point of weakness. Well, and if you break your leg and you're in a wheelchair, you have no problem being like, Hi, kind stranger. Can you please open that door right, to me? Right. But if I have a mental ailment where I am not doing okay today, I cannot pick up my phone and call people that I know, love, and trust and say, I am not okay. Can you please listen to me? I'm not asking you to pay off my debt. I'm not asking you to come take me to Europe. You know what? I'm asking you to listen to me. You can yeah. put me on speaker and do whatever else you're doing. Let me feel like you're listening. And I have a hypothesis about why this is. Ooh, I'd love to hear. It's come as a result of my observations. It's been a while since I've had a physical injury. Yeah. And I've grown mentally and emotionally since the last time I had a physical injury. Right. And I'm, I'm more present in those interactions. Yeah. And I've noticed that the conversations that typically led to deeper connection with someone else mm -hmm. that was prompted by my physical injury was when they had also experienced the yeah. same physical injury, that right? Right. Shared experience is one of those entry points to connection. You know, there's three of them. Shared experience, shared goals, and shared enemies, which is actually also a really slippery slope for yeah. deep connectivity because we usually tend to more emotively express 
our displeasure with something than we do with our pleasure with something. Which is why I'm so hard on ourselves. Totally. But going back to, yeah. you know, like the point of relatability, yeah. I think my hypothesis is that you don't feel comfortable to picking up the phone and calling someone else because you're not sure how you would react in that same situation. Because if they're coming to you with something that you're also experiencing, maybe that's helping us see something that we haven't processed ourselves and we're not necessarily ready to talk to somebody else about it. Or it's just such a sensitive topic because it is, you know, worried around this culture of mental and emotional challenges are perceived as weaknesses, not just, you know, an injury like anything else. That's such an interesting take. I've had this conversation with several of my friends. So women are lucky, right? We, we, we talk much more. We have much more. Uh, You're not taught as a boy. Like, don't cry. Yeah. Boys don't talk about your pain. Right. Shove it down. That's a whole other can of worms. Like, it desperately needs attention for things to change in so, so many ways. But when I have connected with my friends on this, I tend to be the person that is the listener. I have a very hard time being the one to emotionally it's not dumped because I don't believe anyone is trauma dumping. I don't like that term in general because yeah, that's shameful for sharing. But do you know what I mean? Like opening up. And it's just expressing your own relatability with yeah. that kind of an experience. When I normally do it, I do it from this place like I'm doing here where I don't show any emotion and I talk all healed and I've got it all figured out and I'm all great and I'm all strong and put together and all the buttons are buttoned. But for me to unbutton in front of other people, even to my closest people, it's never all the way. Mm. Ever. Never all the way. But other people can with me, and they do with me, and I'm very grateful. And I never want to be a burden. Interesting. Do you think that some way correlates with the imposter syndrome? Of like, I'm not worthy yeah. for you to care about my problems? 100%. I think that's 100% what's happening. It's I don't feel worthy enough to be completely accepted for every facet of who I am, damaged or otherwise. And so I can never fully show you every single bit of me. I have a song called Too Much. I don't want to be too much for you. I don't want what's in here to be too much. So I don't, I will never, I hope someday I get over this, but at least in my current state, I am not able at this time to let anyone see everything. Mm. Yeah. See, I'm not perfect. <laughs> You're <perfect>. I know. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah. And based on what I just heard from you, and not that, you know, we're needing to compare. Anything no, no, that, no, 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 no. I was there like two or three years ago. Yeah. And then I experienced some pretty severe depression within the last year. And, you know, I had a lot of those same experiences that you talked about earlier. And that scared the hell out of me. Yeah. And the fear of being too much for someone, it no longer carried more weight than the fear of what I experienced internally in that season of depression. And so I just kind of come to this conclusion that I am who I am, and that might be too much for some people, but if it is... They're not your people. Not for me. I... And that's, there's nothing wrong with that either. Maybe I'm only too much for somebody in this specific realm. Maybe, you know, somebody loves to go and see live music with me, but when it comes to talking about mental health or philosophy or any other thing that I care a lot about passionately, like, mm -hmm. it's not the right care. And that's okay. I mean, we all have buckets of people, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. So something else I wanted to touch on yeah. was, 
think there's a lot of imposter syndrome that has to do with our uncomfortability with uncertainty and our desire to control the things that we cannot control, right? And I think there is a lot of culturally nurture-based reasoning for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I grew up watching lots of sports, and so there's all kinds of superstitions that are attached to things that you would literally have no control over. Like, I got to wear this shirt to watch my team play because... You know, they've won every, it doesn't matter. And it's fun, you know, whatever, it's a part of fandom. But we, we are kind of brought up with this mentality that we have this control over things that we really don't have control over. Right. And so when it comes to imposter syndrome and, and when that experience is kind of firing up, I think we have to think more about the things that we cannot control. Yes. And that scares us. Or we're trying to self-sabotage by telling us we can't do it so that we can predict the outcome and give ourselves this false sense of control. Exactly. So, like, because we're scared of yeah. failure. So we're going to tell ourselves we're going to fail. That and <laughs> we've been so nurtured to think more about the things that we cannot control than yeah. the things that we can control. Yes. We use the fear that we have with the things that we cannot control to justify why we don't even pay attention to the things that we can control, let alone do them. True. It gives us an out. Yeah. And then later we can perpetuate it by blaming ourselves. Totally. They have that in our back pocket. A framework that I heard recently, I think it was from Tim Ferriss, big podcaster. You know, he struggled with chronic anxiety almost his entire life. And so he talks about those moments when fear arises and your brain is going a mile a minute and there's just so much happening and you need some sort of framework. He does it in three sections. Okay. Take five minutes. Let me let my mind go wild and write down literally everything that could happen. Like the worst things that could happen. Go there. Go there. Yes. For step two is now take all of those things and individually write down the things that you can do within your control to decrease the likelihood of that outcome or decrease the damage that would be done if that outcome were to occur. Right. And the third step is giving yourself the time to think about, okay, let's just say this outcome has happened. What is in my control to reduce the damage or reverse the damage? And then when you think about it that intentionally, the fear kind of subsides, your logical brain kicks in, and you're like, this isn't as big of a deal. And even if it is, I've got some steps here or some tactics here. Yeah, yeah. Well, and if you don't have time to say, I'm not at all speaking from experience here. (laughs) (laughs) You're on your way to perform live at a last minute gig that you're really excited about. And you show up and you're like, I'm not good enough to be here. I'm not good enough to play. I'm going to bomb. I'm not that good at guitar. I just started playing a year ago, again, this isn't from experience at all. What I did, or I mean, what you could do is go off alone by yourself and start saying I'm grateful. And literally repeat it so many times because if we're talking frequencies and vibrations. Fear and gratitude are the exact opposite. Yeah, well, gratitude is an emotion of love. Right. And and things in life come from either a place of love or a place of fear. And the body and the brain are literally incapable of experiencing love and fear at the same time or any of the emotions that are associated with those root feelings. Yes. On my way to the SoFar show, I was so nervous. And I, as I do, talk out loud 
to myself like a crazy person all the time. And I was driving and I just kept, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful to have this car to get to this gig right now. I'm so grateful that, you know, Sam reached out to me to play this gig tonight. I'm so grateful that the sun is out and it's a beautiful day and the sky is blue and I'm so grateful that I can breathe and I'm so grateful and then I'd get a little bit more worked up and I'd be like, I'm so grateful, I'm so grateful. And I would say it and I would say it in different ways. I'm like, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And then, you know, just over and over and over and over and over and over. And I could no longer deny that I was grateful for a plethora of things because there's so much to be grateful for at any given moment. And when our brain starts to tell us otherwise, it can't combat it. You're right. Pinch your eye. Right. <laughs> if I may, I will add something onto that. Yes, please. This is something that I learned studying Becoming Supernatural, that Joe Dispenza book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've spent a decent amount of time in the last four or five years digging into spirituality, mindfulness, manifestation. And when I started reading this book, Becoming Supernatural, it clicked for me that all of the content that I had consumed on manifestation prior to this, it felt short. And it was all based on, you know, thoughts become things and encouraging exercises just like you explained. But the key distinction that Joe Dispenza makes in this book is that it's the brain and the body. So you have to feel it. So you have to feel it. So like manifestation is not just thoughts become things. It's thoughts and feelings become things. You have to imagine in your mind the reality that you want to experience in the future. And, and you feel like you're already... And then you have to identify the feelings that you're going to experience when that reality occurs. Yeah. And then you have to literally feel those feelings. That reprograms your brain and your body to be able to meet those experiences in the future differently than you have in the past. Yeah. And so my exercise, which is very similar to yours, when I notice myself feeling fear, and I know now where I feel it, yeah, right? right. <laughs> I know that that means I'm having negative internal experience, which is then creating negative energy inside of me, which means I'm putting negative energy out into the world. Yes. I'm not cool with that. Mm-hmm. I'm on this earth to put positive yes. energy out into the world. And so I'm actually misaligned with my purpose if I'm going to continue feeling this way. It's selfish. And so I have to stop. Yes. And I close my eyes no matter what I'm doing. And I've gotten to the point where I can pinpoint on my body where I feel the emotion of gratitude. The tops of my legs and the back of my neck. How cool. And I don't say anything out loud. I just close my eyes and I think about the things in my life that I am grateful for. And sometimes it's very small things. Like I woke up today, I have breath in my lungs, I have a beating heart in my chest. And some days it's really rough. You know, that's a really strong, negative, anxiety, fear-based feeling. I mean, you think about it, you just, like, dug down in. You have to kind of climb your way back. Oh, right. And sometimes it takes me five seconds yeah. to reverse that negative energy to a positive energy, to reverse that, you know, anxiety to gratitude. Sometimes it takes me much longer. Yeah. And the indicator is if I don't feel it, I'm not deep enough. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Yes. And I'm still feeling negative. It doesn't matter what I'm saying. My body has right. to catch up with what I'm saying. So To finally match that energy of yeah. gratitude. The power of visualization, too, like that manifestation uh, technique, is so interesting to me. Because I've seen it and experienced it actually working many times. Taking it way back. When I was in high school on the varsity dance scene, we did very well. We won state twice. We won nationals twice. But what we would do every practice leading up to major competitions was spend, you know, 15 minutes. We would all sit. My entire team of 23, 28 girls would sit down, 
close our eyes and we would go through these routines with our eyes closed, visualizing these arenas that we were dancing in together. And it's so powerful because you you tell yourself, I'm doing this perfectly, flawlessly. I do it with guitar. I do it with my singing. I do it with my lyrics. I prefer, if I can, to get to a venue before I play there so I have an idea of where I'm going to be or, what, you know, just kind of a place to plot myself in my visualization mm-hmm. so that it's more real. And then, you know, that to me is almost more beneficial than actually practicing because you're priming your brain for this event. You're telling yourself, I'm there already and I am kicking ass. I am delivering. I am doing what I am meant to do now and then because then is now in that moment. Yep. That aligns with a study list taken in an A group and a B group, mm-hmm. and none of the participants in the study have ever played piano before. Yeah. And so the first group, for 15 minutes every day, they sit down and they play the same very simple progression on the piano, mm-hmm. while the other group sits down at the piano, closes their eyes, and envisions themselves playing this progression on the piano. At the end of the month, they do like a test. And there was not much of a difference in terms of level of play between the group right. that played and the group that only envisioned. I'm not surprised because what you're you're painting this picture for your brain. I mean, ultimately, we do that anyway. Our senses do that anyway as we're right. existing in the world. So if we can just do that with our imagination, it, and again, it's a muscle that has to be trained. But if we do that and we get used to that process for ourselves, it changes lives. It changed mine. You can even do it for simple things. Like if you have anxiety about going to the grocery store, you can do that for the grocery store. Or if you you have anxiety about merging on the freeway, you can do that for merging on the freeway. I actually don't have those things, but I know some people do. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, and, and it doesn't have to be for some major event or things like that. But like to genuinely make your life easier and better and allow yourself to enjoy because that's what we're here to do is to face these challenges, evolve, learn, but to enjoy this experience. Utilizing these processes are a way to get through and make it so much better so that we can align with our purpose of putting out good energy and make the world a better place. Yeah, and all of this is possible because the brain and the body cannot tell the difference between a real experience and an imagined experience. And we know that. Yes. Because we tell ourselves stories. All the time. All the time. And we can viscerally feel it. And we allow it to let it get us off track emotionally and mentally. All right? don't exist. So we're convinced that the imagined mm-hmm. experiences that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. aren't positive, yes. are real. Yes. And that us doing the process of the same thing, but for positive experiences, has no way. It's, like it's, yeah. it's imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true. And it's how do you overcome that? How, when you're in that state, do you do you overcome that? And it's going to be different for everybody. I don't know. I've learned that gratitude, like that that process for me has been, you know, time and time again, very, very helpful. Because also I've been practicing just reached 4,000 minutes of tracked meditation. So that doesn't even through it. Thank you. I didn't start until after I graduated college. But um, this is a count, you know, other times of meditating when I'm walking or just sitting in nature without anything plugged in. And those are profound as well. But the experiences that I have had in meditation lead me to believe that our true essence is grateful and true essence is love. And so when we're able to tap into that, the manufactured emotions of fear, they can't compete. There's no contest. There's just 
And then you're like, what? Now I'm here and I get everything I want. My ego and I are light. We are doing the thing that I know I'm meant to do because I'm doing it. I don't have to worry about the future. I can't remember my past right now. I'm in present moment. And it all sounds like a lot of floof and cheesiness until you really experience it. Then you're like, yep, I'm a hippie. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I would also find you know a way to correlate this imposter syndrome and the analysis paralysis. Yeah. Because when you find yourself in an experience when you are potentially having paralysis by analysis, it could be a good indicator that you are not in a state of gratitude yeah that you are in a an internal state of fear and no matter how much you think about it and how many different options and outcomes you think about in that state it's not going to stop because you're feeding the fear and the fear will inevitably come up with more things for you to think about or so, not for you right so like if you notice yourself having a paralysis by analysis yeah i would just recommend checking in you know and just Go into gratitude and then coming back to it. And I'm guessing it's going to be a lot less chaotic. Yeah. It's like digging yourself out of a hole. Like once you get out of the hole, you can see, well, that wasn't even that deep. And you look down into it instead of trying to see love into the air. And all you see is just what you can see outside the hole. Once you're out of the hole, you get the whole picture. But until you get out of there. So you have to give yourself the grace. It's not going to be easy. You're going to slip and slide. And it's going to be a pain in the ass, quite honestly. And then you get out and you're like, okay. I learned from that one. The next hole I get in, I can do it better, faster, more efficiently. Sometimes the holes are going to be deeper, but that doesn't mean I can't still use the skills that I've developed from getting out of this hole and the next hole. Totally. Yeah. And just having a, a sense of gratitude for what you did. to Having gratitude for gratitude is wild. So every night for the past six-ish months, um, since I got out of my breakup, I started this practice. I write 10 things I'm grateful for. I can write bonus things if I want to, but just 10 every night before bed. And sometimes it's little things, you know, basic things. Other nights, it's funny because I can see the trend. Like some days it's like, you know, I'm grateful for opportunities and I specify things. But, you know, it's like opportunities or it's like what's in my world, physically in my world. And then there's other nights where like I'm grateful to have developed the skill set to handle these challenges specifically as a result of whatever. And it's more my internal world that I'm grateful for. And it's just cool to see the way that it ebbs and flows because you can have gratitude for so many things. But many times I've written, I am grateful to know what gratitude feels. I am grateful to be grateful because many people aren't. They haven't gotten to that place and some people never will. And that makes me so sad for them because then your life just feels like eating brand cereal forever. I don't know. I feel like gratitude is what gives life flavor. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. In general. It's it's the color, you know, and it's colors of life. But to your point, some of us only have black and white TV sets right now. And there's nothing anyone can do. Mm-hmm. But they have to do it for themselves, right? They have to start that. And then and then others will you know, rally around them. But it comes to you, you know? Well, and that's the thing. When I start watching on my color TV set, then they might come over to my place and see the TV in color. And I'll be like, holy shit, where'd you get that? Yeah. 
you know? And I think that that's kind of how this enlightenment process works, you know, when you have this idea and like you're with your old buddies they haven't seen and whatever and you used to do things and get crazy wild and one of them just hasn't grown up yet, right? We call it grow up. One of them just hasn't grown up yet. They're still doing the same thing. They're still asleep for lack of a better term. And then, you know, say you go to the bar with this guy and someone says something stupid and they still react in a way that, you know, you would have reacted 10 years ago and you are unbothered. And then they see that in you and they're like, wait a minute, how do you do that? Like, how did you not care? Why didn't you want to punch that guy in the face for saying that stupid thing? Or, you know, why aren't you affected by this thing? Why aren't you self-conscious? How are you on stage right now? How are you not trapped in these these mindsets? You know, if I'm pulling out of that example, you know, how are you not trapped in these debilitating mindsets that keep you from moving forward and doing the things that you want to do? So like, ultimately, the message here is lead by example. Because you turn the light on in other people just by having your light on. Just takes time. But the only way that we have any control is by facing our fears, hitting them head on. When we feel that fear, diving into it, pulling ourselves out of it with gratitude, and then allowing that to have its own ripple effect because it will. And to tie that back to something we were talking about earlier in terms of like maybe being in an unwell mental and emotional space and, you know, having somebody reach out to you yeah, who's in an unwell emotional and mental space. And I often find that because my nature is to help others mm-hmm. and I do get a lot of fulfillment from that. Yeah. Those are the opportunities for me to give advice that I myself need to hear yeah, yeah. at moment, which is my tactic for relating to the person without necessarily having to open up, you know, and, and like in your case. So it's interesting because again, like I said, my nature is to help people. And it's almost like in those moments I black out and I don't even, I'm not even thinking about what I'm saying, but I'm hearing what I'm saying. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is bringing a realization to me that I have been previously unaware of. It's and, low state. Yeah. I swear. Like right now too. It's like they're, when I had that analogy and it came out so slowly, like truly, when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, in the moment, you're supposed to be doing it, and you get lost in that moment, that's when you don't have to try and you don't have to think about things and things like you get the messages that you've been needing every time. You don't have to go seek it for it. No. Like, your answers are actually in you, right. not just some corny phrase. They're truly in there. And like you said, by being able to relate to other people and it's that community again that's so important for us as a species to be able to to do that and find the flow in that is a beautiful thing because it's going to heal you, heal that person, and then they're going to go out and do the same for other people. And it just kind of explodes. Yeah, totally. And I see that very strongly, and I'm sure you experience it in this music community, this creative community oh, yeah. in Milwaukee. Yeah. I think that's a distinction, honestly, on the culture of Wisconsin's people in general but then when you add that layer of shared experience or shared goal on to those potential points of connection oh it's just great there's some great people in the scene and music lovers alike i mean it's that common thread of music 
I don't know anyone in my circle, at least, that doesn't love lipstick. So it's, the, you know, it's the music lovers, it's the appreciators as well that we, we share this, this deep-rooted connection. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So powerful and supportive. And it makes me unafraid to get up on stage and share very vulnerable scars with the audience. No matter really who it is, because I know that there's going to be at least one person out there who receives what I'm saying, who sees me, feels me, hears me. Whether they have or have not experienced my experience doesn't matter. We're connected now through this musical exchange. Yeah. Well, that's a great transition. Listeners have now gotten to know you, me, from this kind of philosophical, spiritual, mindful (laughs) perspective. And I'm not going to speak for listeners, but I would imagine that they're pleased knowing this about you now. (laughs) But, you know, transitioning it, you get up on stage and you're comfortable, more comfortable, you know, sharing these scars and being vulnerable and, and, and saying what you want to say. So for those listeners who haven't experienced your music before, Let's talk about that. What do you say with your music? What can people expect from you? Yeah. So my music is emotionally raw. And they make a joke that I'm just another sad girl with a guitar, which isn't necessarily true. Mostly it's true, but not completely. But I tell my story about, you know, abuse as a child, um, the heartbreak that I'm going through current, well, Growing through right now, you know, yeah. from, you know, leaving an eight-year relationship, what it, what it was like when I was writing music at the start of cutting off my family, you know, the experience. Just, I tell my story. I tell my story very directly about what I've gone through and what makes me, me. And that's why I chose the name. So my human name is Maggie. When I'm on stage, I'm just me. And everyone thinks it's my because of the I. But my, Maggie is spelled M-A-G-G-I-E, Okay. Take out the egg. I'm just me. Okay. Have to say that. (laughs) Just me on stage. And I feel empowered to share my story so truly, deeply, honestly, and rawly with strangers. Because before I was singing about it and I was talking with strangers in support groups or in other places, every time I spoke about my experiences and my quote-unquote trauma to me they're level definers like they define when I move up to my next level in life like in video game but these tests that I overcome when I talk about those with other people they always always reciprocate they always every time tell me stories that are in alignment with mine and it breaks me because I know I know what it is to have come out the other side. And I think the break happens because I'm equally happy for them that they're having this human experience that's transforming them into someone so awesome. But I'm devastated that they ever had to go through something of similar nature as to what I had to go through. So now I sing about it and I get emotional because I don't ever want someone to go through what I went through ever but I know that we have to I had to I would never put my baby self again through what I went through but I had to go through that 
to be me, just as everyone else does. And so now when I sing about it on stage, I get the power. It's my power to tell my story, to then empower other people to not only be able to tell their story, but maybe identify moments in their lives that are actually trauma and trigger that healing within them. Because oftentimes I've found when I share my own experiences, some people are like, yeah, I've never told anybody this. And then they'll share with me what they went through and realize in that moment, not only are they safe to share with me, which is absolute privilege and honor, but that they too are wounded and you can't heal from a wound if you don't address it. As soon as you have that, that catalyst of realization, that's when the healing begins. And it's beautiful, and I am always honored and privileged to be a part of that moment for some people. And I will never take that for granted. But being on stage and having that moment with my inner child to tell my story in a way that's authentic to me. One of my most, I always call it my saddest song. It's called Daddy Issues. I wrote that in one go, top to bottom. I didn't have to think about it. I was sitting on my patio. It was a breezy day. And it started with, are these the winds of change or is it just a breezy day? And that's how it all just kind of unraveled for me. I pulled the thread and that's what all came out. And I had been wanting to write about that experience for a really long time, but I did not know how to do it. And it's an honor to share that with people while being on stage, because I think sharing just needs to be normalized, because we do not know the impact that we have on other people by being honest about anything. You know, we have to be honest about what we don't, love about ourselves and not in a critical way but like genuinely the things that you know I'm ashamed of the only way I can heal that stuff is by being honest about it then other people become better too because not only are they accepting me more for who I am because of course I never fully unbutton but not only are they accepting me more for who I am they're seeing that they then can accept themselves a little bit more because you know, we're all connected, right? And so it's it's a very spiritual experience for me. When I sing that song, and my other songs, I mean, like, to me, they're all very deep and, and important, but that one in particular uh, carries a lot of weight. But it's cathartic. And it's not for attention. And that was something when I was younger, I was always had a hard time navigating mentally about pursuing music because I always thought it was selfish. I'm learning now it's a self-sacrifice. But also to share your own trauma oftentimes can be perceived by those that may or may not have addressed their trauma as seeking attention, which to some degree, sure, for some people. But much of the time, it's the human experience. And much of the time, it's taking the ego away overcoming the shame and the fear not by living in the past but by embracing your own story and what has defined you and molded you into the beautiful human being you are and are becoming 
We all have things that have given us battle scars in life. And I think that sharing those stories creates a community that's so strong and genuine and not flighty. That's the most important thing for me. And that's why I'm still doing music. That's why my music is going in the direction that it's going, because I need it to be authentic. I very much so understand I could go a different direction and wear no clothes on stage and sing about surface level things that are catchy. Make money. You know? But ultimately, as you've said, I've seen the darkness. And I know that that path, for the sake of capital gain, would lead me back to that darkness because I'd be selling myself out in a way that I can't be okay with ever. And so I choose to bear my soul on stage for people in a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I can't do that myself. And so I would rather rip myself open on stage every time I get up there in order to potentially impact someone else in a way that changes their life so that they may heal. Whether I ever know about it or not, it's actually not my business. But I know I did what I came to do, and that was tell my story and also take my power back. Because when you have your stories, they're yours. For a long time, I didn't work. Tell anyone about it. I just cry. Now, I still cry. But I know that I'm doing more in honor of myself, in honor of my pain, in honor of tests that I've overcome. And it's leading me to places that make me feel proud of what I'm doing. So powerful. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. I feel that. Yeah. So what direction is the music going? We were talking about this before. Sure. What I have out is more... I had someone... What did they tell me? I was reaching for the bleachers or something. It was just kind of too generic, and I get that. I feel that. And I've, I've always felt that. Now it's kind of the opposite when it's like, if you know, you know what I'm going through. It's very specific to me, my stories. And I like to play with the lyricism. I like to give, you know, the details. And I don't like to write a story. I like to deliver it in a way that is actually from my own experience. And there's nothing wrong with writing a story and, you know, playing a part and, and all that. That's amazing. It's really cool that people can do that. But given I'm just me on stage. I have to maintain that that truth. And so that's where my music is going, and I intend to keep it there. Maybe it will change in terms of sound, but the direction in terms of content, I think it can only ever come from me and my life. And I'm not going to lie, my life's a little intense. So I think I got plenty of content to work with. That's another thing I battle with. It's like I don't ever want to just stay in that place and have my past define me, I only ever want to use it as fuel. But as long as you keep going, there will be more. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Life is sure to deliver on content. Right. That's you see it to the point where you know, the experience of the trauma that you've been using as fuel to this point mm -hmm. gets replaced with 
Oh, yeah. So if you process it, you let go of it, and you invite something else new. That's true. I always think about life as like a video game. Without those amazingly easy bonus levels where all you do is just jump around and collect coins, that would be fabulous. Life, take note. You could add that in as my next level. <laughs> <laughs> but I think about, you know, the base levels. You're learning basic skills on how to play the game. And then to get to the next level, you have to utilize the skill that you just used. And then you get to the next level. And then you're dependent on that skill that you just used in order to beat that test and then learn another skill. And you keep collecting these tools these skills, learning how to use the tools. And I feel like that's life in a nutshell. And I know that video games are based out. Yeah, it's, I get it. But I really do believe that as we go along, I've found so many times that the problems that I've faced before that were so challenging or needing to get over, once I get over them, the skills that I had to develop in order to get over them are what I literally needed to survive the next phase and so every time I'm going through something, I'm like, well, I'll need this later. Like, it's it's really just a matter of like, okay, what am I learning right now? Actually, like, what am I learning? Because this is like foreshadowing my future. It's foreshadowing what's coming up for me. So if I can get this down, I'll be able to use it to continue on in life and just keep going. It's not that hard when you get the formula down. It's just you got to have a few years of experience. You got to go through those trials, overcome them to understand that you will always overcome them. That's where wisdom comes from, right? Right, exactly. So wisdom isn't necessarily an age-based thing. It's an no. experience-based thing. And how many times have you gone through the cycle, you know? And how many times have you True. gone through the cycle in the same way yeah. before you realize mm-hmm. that, oh, there's a trend here. I can tweak this and maybe get a different outcome. And, you know, the way I've been looking at it metaphorically is the superhero-like comic strips. And each weekend they come out in, you know, in the in a Sunday paper or whatever, and it's the same superhero, but it's a different plot. And the superhero always prevails, yes. right? Yes. And so getting up in the morning and just being like, I wonder what the superhero is going to face today. Yeah. Because yeah. we're all superheroes, right? We are. And we always prevail. It's that main character idea. And I've always felt that way. Like, this is my story. You're all extras. <laughs> but it's true for everyone. You know, I don't know what anyone else has gone through, and I never can. All I know is what they tell me. And even then, you know, my own brain is going to be like, are they, are they telling the truth? It's me. It's my life. It's my perspective. And that's the only thing that we can, quote unquote, control. How we see things, how we see other people, how we see life. So we can choose to sit here and say, oh, poor me, I can't get past level five. Oh. And sit there. You can literally quit and give up on level five if you want. You can stay there forever if you want. And I've done that. I've have a Nintendo Switch and there are some levels that are a bitch in my ass. And I just, they drive me crazy because I, I will put it down for months. I won't touch it for months if I can't get through a certain level and I'm really frustrated with something. And then the next time I pick it up, I'm like, this level that I just beat in 10 minutes is what got me to put this down for 10 months? Are you kidding me? It's so funny. It's so funny to me because I feel like that's exactly how life is. Sometimes if there's a problem that you just can't get over, you need to put it down. You need to. Yeah. You could be too consumed in it and to see clearly. Yeah. You need a, a retreat and come back with a clearer lens. Yes. Yeah. I realize, too, that's a privilege to be like, oh, just put the problem down. But it could be your own perception that is the problem. So set your perception aside. Like, sometimes we can't just put down certain problems because of the way that life is designed. But... We can put down our perspectives. Yeah, you can also put your perspective on the back burner 
and go seek others' perspectives to invite a new inspiration into how you can kind of evolve your own perspective. Yes. Me, this has been incredible. We could talk so much longer. And, you know, while you may be in the beginnings of your music career, you're not <laughs> in the beginnings of your human life. <laughs> and I think at the age that you're at right now, in your mid-20s, I'd still classify that as mid-20s. Yeah, we'll call it this. <laughs> you seem to be further along in the journey of personal growth, probably in part because you've had so much trauma. You shift a lot in this conversation that I know is super valuable for me, and I hope is valuable for our listeners, whether you're a musician or a music lover, you're just a human. You are. And most of the things we talked about today were completely relevant to just being a human and going after the things that you want to go after, but maybe that part X or that inner child, that shadow self is pulling you down. So you've heard from two people who have faced that continuously in their respective creative pursuits. And if we can do it, so can you. We believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me, I was in the podcast with the same question. You know what that question is. So what is the most important thing that you want listeners of this episode to know about me? My story won't end, so always stay tuned. There's always going to be more from me. And I always look forward to seeing you out in the world. Every connection that I make is one that I cherish deeply. And I mean that wholeheartedly. So please, please come talk to me. <laughs> and and no matter where we are, I would love to connect with you. And I genuinely believe that's the most important part of my music career. Lovely. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. It's been great. Thank you. And I know <laughs> we'll talk so much more about so much of the stuff that we already talked about and so much more that we haven't, uh, as long as you keep joining me at live shows. Yes. Yeah. But for now, we'll leave it there with listeners. Uh, so go check out me. Depending on when you listen to this, these opportunities might be passed, but you got Summerfest show coming up. Mm -hmm. You're playing like live in left field at American Family Park a couple of times this summer and maybe some more things in the works, yeah. one of which I know about, yeah. trying to nudge. So <laughs> just keep your eyes out for me. And if you uh, are out and about and you happen to see her, in the grocery store. And <laughs> you know that she doesn't have anxiety in the grocery store. Let's go up to her. I said, I it. Like, likes your podcast. Love your music. We'd love to talk. Please do. <laughs>